Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're catching up on Lower Decks. It's mid-season, I think? Yeah, yeah, we've just passed the halfway mark. Yep, so so it's a, a good time to jump in and see what we've noticed so far. And overall, I'm pretty positive. I have a really, really big criticism that we can get to, but mm-hmm. that aside, I'm really enjoying it. I love the characters. I love how much plot is crammed into each little episode. I like how actual science fiction is part of it. <laughs> what? It's, it's, <laughs> I know, I know. Just like the thing with the generation ship. And the terraforming emulsion, like, these are cool ideas. I also am enjoying it. Um, I agree mm-hmm. with, with everything that you're saying. I'm, it's just, it's a little bit manic and way out there. It's like this, like, I, it, it is a, a throwback to, like, Next Generation era, but it's also a throwback to, like, the really weird episodes of TOS. Yeah. Like no one would take seriously if they did them in Discovery, but because I it just is want to animated... remind you that Discovery has a ship powered by mushrooms, <gasps> and no one takes that seriously. Or I well, should I say, should. annoying fanboys, yeah and, yeah, and girls, the the fandom menace people, you know, point at that out as being ridiculous, and. They, it's harder to for them to make fun of Lower Decks because it's it's already It knows. Yes. Yeah. It's not that Discovery doesn't know it's ridiculous, but it's cloaked in this very serious um, right. presentation. It's, it's like a marketing thing. Lower yeah. Decks is being marketed as this is silly and fun and playful and colourful, and Discovery is marketed as being drama. Yes, that, that puts it very well. Uh, I do like the, the the TOS ridiculousness of the people who are obsessed with crystals and make you fight to the death. But I, uh, uh, but I also enjoy the, the TNG stuff of, we have to save this planet before its moon explodes, and all the people on this planet are awful. <laughs> the, the, just the, you know, the... Meet the ship meetings, you know, like sitting around a table and, yeah. <laughs> and discussing things. It's just so like I miss that. <laughs> like those are the things that, like, oh, look at they're having their little their little meetings, you know. And those are in every Star Trek, so it's not like yeah, even in Discovery they did have like a and I loved it. Like the the board yes. meeting episode of Discovery was one of my favorites. So I, like... I always loved that the second Lorca left, suddenly we saw they had a. Con- conference room he just never used it because he doesn't believe in consultation exactly but yeah it's a very 24th century trek feeling every time there is a a, a conference room scene and you know Boimler's like "Ooh, I get to clean up I get access to the fancy replicators and yeah as an admin assistant that's a mood (laughs) exactly It's like, this is literally my job, you guys. This is what I do. 
I'm kind of like, Boimler is very there, but he's probably the character most like me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do not relate to Boimler in any way, but I, one of my duties this week, uh, students are back. I'm sorry. Campus is open. Uh, So one of my duties, you know, in addition to just all of my regular admin stuff, which I can mostly do from home, uh, Mm -hmm. and then, like, volunteering at the testing tent and, you know, like, trying to be welcoming to these children who have come into my campus. And I'm just like, why? But, um, But so I had to go and pick up PPE for my department. Like first I had to know which of my faculty were actually going to be on campus and so who, you know, who would need the PPE and like make a little database and and verify with everybody and then I had to go and pick it up and then I had to go and deliver it, right? And so it's like I was yeah. in that in that moment I was like this is what lower decks is. <laughs> like I am very yeah. lower decks right now. <laughs> because it's like doing all of the the little menial tasks that make the ship go exactly exactly so yeah i really enjoy getting that perspective on starfleet and i love the characters and i really enjoyed the latest episode uh the cupid's errant arrow Mm -hmm. because we got sometimes i think the captain is a little buffoonish and obviously we're seeing her through the lower decks eyes and particularly her extremely critical daughter's eyes Mm -hmm. but it was cool to see captain freeman do her job and get a win yes i i had the same thought was like oh look at how competent captain freeman and her xo are being in this scene (laughs) it was like they're they're not being silly they're they're doing their star trek job yeah, it's a hard line to walk with the Lower Decks POV and the natural comedy that comes from the assumption that everyone in charge is kind of an idiot, but at the same time you need to remember that you don't get into their jobs but just by being idiots. I think it's safe to say that Mariner is the best. Mariner's our favourite. I love Mariner. <laughs> I think she's great. I don't fully understand why people act like she is not the main character. Uh, I feel like it's probably the same people who think Michael Burnham is not the same char- the main character in Discovery. It's Big weird. Yikes. It's like they have something in common. Uh, I made the mistake of looking at Reddit and like overall Reddit is very positive and people are saying correctly this is better written than Star Trek Picard. <laughs> but there's a... a a significant minority of fans going it's we really need to see mariner being put in her place and i'm like a that is a very fraught thing to say about an african-american woman and b no she doesn't she is exactly where she's meant to be and it's great so yeah it's really Um, strange to me you know if i was going to say you know first of all of course she's the main character and second of all she's the kirk like right she's not even not like what he (laughs) i'm just i'm so uh because the you know even picard and everybody certainly janeway good lord is always 
going against the grain and getting in trouble with whoever's in charge of them. And it's just the fact that they have the most power on their own, you know, ship, their own domain that like you don't, you, maybe you don't notice it if you're just, if you're watching it from a Janeway's point of view, right? you don't realize how insubordinate she's being until you start thinking about it. But, you know, like, AOS Kirk is exactly the same as Mariner, and I think that's something I love about both of them. In our episode about Picard, we were saying he's actually a really terrible subordinate. Admirals hate him. And it's obviously different with Mariner because she doesn't have the rank and the experience to back it up, and... She may never have the rank to back it up, although I personally oh, think that could be a tragedy. But I guess that's what I'm saying about the the comparison to Calvin Kirk, who's like a cadet yeah. and then becomes captain because it's ridiculous. But like that's you know she's on that level. She she clearly she's had a long career already, so she yeah. like, is only an ensign because she wants to be an ensign. You know she's she's right. okay with it there. And, you know, in addition to Calvin Kirk, like, young Picard got into a bar fight and almost died. Like, Right. That is pure, pure Mariner right there. <laughs> he was not this staid diplomat who always said the right thing when he no. was young, when he was an ensign. Like, it's just sort of a really obnoxious double standard. <laughs> Mm. to say that she has to be subordinate or put in her place and those aspects of Kirk and Picard are revered and like part of what makes them great (laughs) but they're white men yeah apparently that's the that's the key if you're a white man you can do anything (sighs) what a world so, you know, this is a personality type that Star Trek really reveres. And I think fanboys just need to uh, accept that black women can be cool rule breakers as much as white men. Yeah, exactly. Star Trek fandom is in fact super racist. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there are a lot of people who I think mistake watching Star Trek for being progressive. I mean, and... the conversation around the new Discovery characters proves that. Yeah, the introduction of a trans and non-binary character, characters, I should say, played by actors of those identities. And a lot of ignorance has been revealed. And it's not surprising, but it's disappointing. I'm just going to say. It's just sort of tiring for me. Yeah, like I see the announcements and I go, I am so happy and I'm already tired of the discourse. Right, before it's happened, because Mm. it just popped up and there are all these people who are trans or non-binary Star Trek fans who are so excited. And then randos would come into their mentions and say, well, actually there is already a non-binary character in star trek and it was this 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 and this and it's like no (laughs) yeah i just i just want to come and be like well actually you made that up and it's not just 
the dude fans it's also the people on tumblr who skew more female going oh but dax is canonically and intentionally trans and that's how she was written and she's a canonical trans character and i think it's a little more complicated than that and i think trying to sell any kind of pre-discovery star trek as a fantastically textually queer series is really misleading right and kind of annoying so related to lower decks since we're getting a little bit off topic but it's my well you know that's our brand but uh one i think our criticism it's it's my big criticism i think it's also your big criticism is how spoilers it is (laughs) there's this show is super shitty like i could be writing this show but (laughs) it's also 100 percent heterosexual it's really glaring like like we we are halfway through the series and we do not have a single canonical queer character we barely even have subtext mm-hmm. and you know one of them one of the you know throwaway characters even was a trill but she was yeah. a girl on a date with a boy so like it just it brings it all back to you can't say trill are trans if like the the text of what you are watching is is disagreeing with you yeah yeah and there are so many opportunities to make it to fix it even like the episode where we all started shipping the first officer and mariner ransom has a line about uh space spores that made him do it with his best friend's sister and Mm. i'm like what if it had been his best friend and like he's just as oh that was a bit weird and awkward about it but no no homo and also a great shout out to you know the the reason yes the reason there is a star trek fandom (laughs) like it's just it's so blatant and i love like i super am into ransom and mariner i uh came coined their ship name as jacket <laughs> i'm very proud of that <laughs> i Jerry, hate it and i'm absolutely going to use it all the Jerry time O'Connell totally like that suite so i think it's canon that <laughs> yeah, works for me ransom is an e- very it would be super easy to make ransom a riker and just be pansexual and but that's right. like that's my headcanon about Riker. That's nothing that's actually explicitly on screen. It's yeah. not like at no point in the next generation or any of the movies or Picard does Riker say anything like I'm pansexual. No. It's maybe played that way, it's maybe written that way in like, you know, a, the subtext. It's certainly read that way and it's my personal headcanon but it is not representation. Exactly. You know, I always had Canon Seven of Nine as asexual, and now she's in a relationship with a woman. Mm. And I'm a bit sad to lose that headcanon, but it was at no point ever canon. Right. And so Ransom, who I think is very easily compared or even conflated with Riker, you know, I can have I can have that same headcanon. And so, yeah. like, I feel like it should, yeah, it should have been his best friend or his best friend's brother. Or, like, it would be so easy and it would be so... It wouldn't take away from his character at all. And if he's flirting with Beckett in the same 
like five second conversation then yeah. it would be that would be representation because it right. would be both he would be the first uh, overtly bisexual non-evil character in the franchise <laughs> and I want Jesus that Christ. I want that for I know, him I know. he would be my perfect first bisexual like come and, on yeah and I don't think there's some sort of nefarious plot here. I just think that every show except Discovery is run by straight people. Yes. And they don't think. Whereas I worked it out yesterday of the five showrunners Discovery has had in three seasons. Uh, two were gay men and one is a lesbian. <laughs> Which, another issue, but... Yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and like... You know, I am super into how shippy this show is. Like, I am so excited that a Star Trek series is finally on my side, that there is, (laughs) should be way more bed hopping in all of these shows. That it doesn't make sense to me that there just wouldn't be lots and lots of relationships because it's such a small community. It's also a small community where the ensigns sleep in bunk beds in the yes! So I don't know how much literal bed hopping there can be. <laughs> but it would be like, you know, clever ways of getting, I don't know, that would be part of the fun. I mean, all those Jeffrey twos are just waiting. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like so happy that it's a horny show. But there, it's... It's it really it disturbs me how yeah how head it is. It's just like it would be so easy to not be that way. Now I say this uh, in not to keep bringing up Kelvin Kirk, but mm. in the I think I think it's Into Darkness where he has the two Catwomen in bed. Yes, and everything everything I hate is Into Darkness <laughs> in Into Darkness. So like that scene would be so much better if it was just like two cat men or a cat man and a cat woman or like Mm. you know like you could you could it would be a sight like it wouldn't it wouldn't be this big thing it would just be you know blink and you miss it and yet make that scene less exploitative and more intersectional and more revealing of Kirk's character and a new side of Kirk's yeah. character. And because, like, everyone wants Kirk to be in love with Spock, like, why can't you just make it, make it real? What bugs me is that you know how much we hate the fans, the types of fans who demand the, Sp- the Snyder Cut. And I remember mm. I once joked about how we should make Bring Back Cat our version of Release the Snyder <laughs> Cut. And you laugh, but you're also like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that sort of fan. I don't, and right. I, I don't want to be that no, person. No, I completely agree. <laughs> but at the same time, what power do we have as fans to convey the message to CBS that this is an oversight that they need to correct? Mm. You know, do we need a hashtag do we need to get someone in media journalism involved you know mm-hmm. like it's a little i i wish that covid wasn't happening for a lot of reasons yeah. but one of them being that i could go to conventions and i could talk to these people like right. i know for a fact the lower deck creators would be at star trek las vegas and i yeah. have friends yeah. 
who could like even if I didn't have friends, I could just go up to like them to their table, you know, and I feel like mm. I can have an open conversation because right. in that context, it would be acceptable. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm not, it's not even them putting them in their place. I'm yeah. not going oh. to like, I'm not going to follow them home to the convention and go into their hotel room and complain at them. You're like, you know, it's like, there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. There's a line. <laughs> There's like this is a professional, and and you know like I have been, I've gone to conventions as press, I've gone to conventions as a panelist and moderator, as a volunteer. Like I feel like I could get access yeah. to have a conversation, but that is different from accusing them of something in a public space. Right, uh, like I think. Jules started a valuable conversation when she asked Alex Kurtzman at Comic-Con last year about the erasure of discovery and the subtext there. But she didn't go into that expecting a good answer on the spot. She just mm -hmm. wanted to raise the subject. Right. And I think it's... And I'm... A, and that, like, I feel like because of this whole, like, now everything is virtual and it's... Like, you don't, you don't have that opportunity. Mm. You don't have that opportunity yeah. in a virtual panel that yeah. you, like, you don't have that access and it so now the conversation isn't happening because like it, I, I would I think that a year after she asked that question if someone brought it to him in another question or as a conversation he would have a better answer just because he had the year to think about it exactly exactly uh, and I think the, the hard thing about being a creator and being on the internet is that you are constantly being bombarded with people's opinions and it must be very difficult to separate the Snyder Cut fans from the people with, right. I'm going to call, a, a more intersectional concern. Mm. And certainly my writing mentor tells me, don't pay attention to that sort of discourse on Twitter. Mm. If it's important, it will come to you in a more personal mm. context because otherwise you're just bombarded by messages all the time and you have no room to think and you have no room to develop your own vision and I think to a certain extent she's right but I also think sometimes that's the only place these conversations these important conversations are taking place and it's weird because in some ways you would think that the the virtual stuff and I don't I it's like it's be it's it's become there's less access like not just because we're not in the same space but it's just that like, there are so many more layers that you have to go through mm. to get to ask that question it's an interesting time to be a fan it's an interesting yes. time to be in fandom and i'm i'm sure it's uh, it's a hugely interesting time to be creative right you know, there's so many sets that have started up and then shut down again and they keep releasing dates and it's like that yeah, that's that's really uh, optimistic of you there, James Bond. Yeah, yeah. But okay. Our Pats uh, has COVID now. I'm not going to see James Bond in November. I'll just <laughs> put that out there. Um, so yeah. it, it's, it's just, I'm glad that Discovery made a big push about these new characters. And... I'm glad that the conversation is happening, but I feel like I really wish that that conversation was being had in a 
in a, you know, I wish that my friends at Women at Warp were like in a press room asking those questions instead of this whole Twitter crowded, like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's not, Twitter is not for nuance and of course not, of course not. Or truth, you know, it's not for honesty either. So it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And I don't just I like I don't think that the uh, showrunners on on Lower Decks have excluded queer people because they're bad people. Mm-hmm. I think it's just straight people, straight peopling, and right. that's yes. a problem. But we're not going to achieve anything by abusing them for it. Does that right. make sense? It, like, it absolutely makes sense. Because, I mean, this is something that you know, there's like the whole cancel culture and toxic fandom yeah, and like, yeah. all of that stuff. I have lectured about these things so there's a new star wars site there's like eight hundred thousand million star wars sites but there's a new one star wars fandom is on the internet now i know they wanted a space for women voices and especially mm. queer and uh by poc awesome so yeah it's it's a great it's a great space and so, you know, because it's Star Wars fandom and it's the internet and Twitter, that was very unpopular. Yes. So I responded to this, this, you know, like, hey, we're doing this great thing. And I was like, that's awesome. And uh, people said, you know, that's, it's unnecessary. They're, you know, Star Wars had, has had women fans forever and they've always had a place in this fandom. And you're just making, you know, you're, you're victimizing yourself for, for attention. Yeah. And so I posted a comment I got on YouTube on one of my Star Wars fan videos. This one mm-hmm. is my most popular by far, and it is a celebration of the women in Star Wars, the animated version. Because it's my most popular, I get horrible comments constantly. Um, I can only imagine. So I posted this comment that was you know a a typical comment it was a typical comment of a man who was saying you know there that it was stupid to care about women because you should only care about characters basically yeah and so Mm. I started this I you know I posted that and I got a whole bunch of people or just you know then then I was a target for all this nonsense and I responded to one of them because he was saying you know Marjade and Darth somebody, I don't know, some <laughs> Sith woman, are, were, are amazing characters, and they existed, you know, 15 years before Rey and Ahsoka, so ha ha ha. W- women have always been awesome in Star Wars. And I, you know, responded, Marjade isn't in Clone Wars, so she couldn't be in my video. <laughs> like, that's it. That's the that's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, period. And then I said, and your comment is proving that we need this space for women fans because, you, like, you're being the person who's pushing women out of the fandom. Yeah. And he, got, he was like, oh, you're, you know, again, you're victimizing yourself. You know, you should, you should have low self-esteem. And, like, there's this all, you know, pathologizing my response. But because I'm me and I'm sort of like, this is what I do. I, Mm -hmm. you know, was like, okay, look, you're right. I am not 
going to leave Star Wars fandom because you don't like me. Because I've been a Star Wars fan since I was seven, and I'm not going away. But imagine I was a 15-year-old girl who just loved Rey, and all she ever encountered in Star Wars fandom was people telling mm. her she was wrong for that. And he was like, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> and we had, like, a conversation about it. And I don't think that, like, I didn't fix him or change his mind or convince him that, that he, you know, is not going to do it to another girl. But we were able to have that conversation mm. because I didn't get immediately defensive and he realized that I wasn't getting immediately defensive and so continued the conversation. And like, it was right. funny because then his friends were coming in and, and were basically saying, you know, why are you listening to her? <laughs> and it was like this, this whole thing. It was this, it was so weird and so indicative of Twitter and the internet and discourse. But at the same time, it's like we are capable of having these conversations if we don't do that knee jerk thing. And it's easy for me to say because no one is telling me that like, I don't have a, you know, I'm not non-binary, so no one's telling me I don't have a place in Star Trek or I, you know, you know, yeah. no one's like saying these, no one's accusing me of something. Like, yes, I'm a woman in Star Wars fandom or Star Trek fandom, but I, you know, like I'm standing up for the people that I can. And I stand up for the, the teenage girls because I was a teenage girl. And so like, I feel like I can respond for that yeah and I'm and I'm you know raising teenage girls so it's like that's my that's my lane as they as they say I stand up for trans voices and for non-binary non-binary voices and for black voices like I definitely want to give those give them a platform but I don't I don't take that platform if that makes sense you don't sense. want to speak like, over them right so I I I would try to boost their voices as opposed to yeah saying those things yeah but i will say you know as binary cis ladies we can have a conversation with those ignorant people and we're not the ones mm -hmm. being hurt so right. i feel like that is something that we can do and we're not i don't yeah. i hope I, I hope i'm not speaking over them like if it's if it's on twitter then everyone can join in well yeah I, th but, I think i think that the difference is like if i it's the, if it's like, I, again, it's the sort of the same thing. I'm not a teenage girl, but I'm talking for the teenage girls. Like, I yeah. can't, like, it's the same, I can, def I can be a defender. Yeah. A non-binary person or a trans person should not have, does not have to be nice to the, to the ignorant right, people exactly. who think that the trill are trans. I should Whereas, be nice to them. Yeah, yeah. To I try can to, put like, my feelings explain. aside and go, hey... Did you know? And I can be nice. And like, and and also, because... I'm not saying that we should be nicer racists or or, or or transphobics or like, I'm saying that I think I can be the person who can have this conversation, and I won't take it personally because I'm not trans. Yeah, yeah, I I, I am not being harmed by this. And also, I think we can tell the difference between, for example, a full-on transphobe and someone who is merely ignorant and if they choose to persist in their ignorance well goodbye to them so i guess what i'm saying with this really long like diversion from our don't topic, worry i'll trim it <laughs> yes, like, 
I realized quite I'm talking about that. Anyway, what my point is, is that it's hard to have these conversations online. But mm. right now, we're stuck with it. Yeah. We can't have the conversations in person. And I think that we should we should try harder i don't like we should we should come at it from a a place of not being knee-jerk defensive and not being like i'm gonna prove something or i don't know and 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 try to like not get you know elevate the voices for the people who are actually being harmed Mm. and then stick up for them and then yes. you know, be like, be like, I'm going to put you on a platform, and then I'm going to stand in front of your platform, and you know, fight back all the people who want to get you. The other thing I was wondering if we could do to bring it back to the question of how do we raise this issue with someone in charge like Alex Kurtzman? This is very retro, but I understand the U.S. still does have a postal system. <laughs> well, sort of. It's it's kind of under attack right now, but I've heard. Like I keep looking at the USPS website and going, they've got such cute merch, and I'd love to support them, but they don't ship to Australia. The irony: (laughs) no one ships to Australia right now. It's terrible. Anyway, maybe a letter writing campaign. Is that too nineteen sixty eight? That would be super cute because it would be like a Star Trek thing. Yeah. I have friends. I know I have friends who would be like 100% behind that because they've they're like sad that they're not old enough to have been part of the letter writing campaigns. <laughs> it's not just that though, like people pay attention to letters. Even mm. now they say, you know, write to your politician, don't yes. just send an email. And you know, I listen to the podcast, The Trek Files, where they literally go through fan letters to Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. and, and other memos and documents. But there's a paper trail there it's not like i kind of like this idea and and you know you do fanzines and my brother does fanzines and like you know just sort of putting it in in all sorts of different places Mm. that we could then you know point to and again like put a spotlight on yeah, like I think those are all related. But yes, Twitter, you're right. Something physical. Twitter is a tool, but it's not the only tool. Yeah. Something and, and it's also, not even the best. Yeah. And like the reason that that letter writing campaigns are better than Twitter is that it goes through like, you know, Alex Kurtman's not not going to read this first. <laughs> his, his, no. Gonna, no. He's, he's intern, got a secretary, you know, who <laughs> who reads that first. And so there's, it's like you're not, a, it's not an attack. It's, yeah. I feel like even if you're not attacking people on Twitter, it can feel like an attack just because it's like this, you, you know, you only have a, you have to be pithy, you have to be mm. like really direct, you know, because there aren't enough characters. Yeah, yeah. And even in like an, an email, tone is weird, but a letter, it's not like it's, tone is still, you're still like reading the tone, but it, like there's, there's other things. There's not just the text. It's like how it's written. It's what paper it's on. It's, you know, how you address them, how you sign it. Like there's like these things that are intrinsic to 
that form of communication that are just not a part of online reality. Right. And I think there is something old fashioned and I don't want to, I don't like this word because I think it's really been weaponized, but civil Mm. about it Mm. and civil need not be polite, but I think, you know, we have, we don't have the opportunity to speak to these people, to to the showrunners in person. Twitter is a flawed tool. And, and so is like I'm. I'm really saying like so is all electronic. Like, yeah, yeah. Email. There was this ridiculous thing about how saying you know signing off your name as best is mm. is hostile. I, I don't. I don't. I'm really like I don't not know how to write or communicate anymore. And so I I love this idea of a letter writing campaign because. It's a diff. It's a different version of effort. And yes. I don't know. Sorry. It's been a long so, week. I'm really tired. And no, I understand. Uh, I just want to emphasize that this is a letter writing campaign, not a glitter bombing campaign. <laughs> like, you know, that is a war crime. Uh, you can glitter bomb me anytime. We will glitter bomb put you. Put out that there. And send polite letters. Exactly. To Alex Kurtzman. Precisely. Precisely. P.S. Please bring Kat back. (laughs) Cats have nine lives. Hashtag cats have nine lives. (laughs) (laughs) I know. As I always said, I was against hashtag campaigns. But it's a really good one. (laughs) Um, Anyway. (laughs) So Lower Decks. So Lower Decks. We like it. But... It could it be better, could, which is, it could, and I just want to put that out there. I want to say that saying, like, this is something that could be better does not mean that I don't love it. Like, no. Th- these are, these aren't, criticism is not an attack. Hate. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I loved the, the most recent episode when they did the flashback and it was, like, the old uniforms and her hair was so big and I was just like, this is the best! I love this! It was so fun. And it was an actual shot of Deep Space Nine. I'm very happy for all the Deep Space Nine fans <laughs> out there. And the thing is, like, I would totally buy that Mariner is bisexual because, yeah. oh. you know... Mariner and Angie, Mariner and Barb. I got got to the end of that episode and was like, so Mariner and and Barb are a thing now, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what we're saying. We're setting up here, correct? Like, that's that's how I want it to go. I would love to have Mariner and Ransom as a polyamorous bisexual (gasps) power couple. Obviously, there's an issue there with the gap in rank and all, but... I mean, I just, I really love the idea of his relationship with her mother and how, like, that, the dynamics of that, and then, like, it's just, there's so many. Like, yeah, it's super wrong. (laughs) I, I ship everything that's wrong. Like, I ship damage. I'm super excited for it, and I just want it to happen. But I love the, like, as I absolutely headcanon them both as being into whatever you know to being very open sexual right like that's how i see it and 
Boimler, I would 100% believe is like super hat and wouldn't be. Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. I, get, I, I read that. That's how I read him. I, I read mm. Boimler as someone who wants to be more adventurous than he is. He has like this idea of what Starfleet is and, and what adventure is, and he's cast himself in that role. But, but I, it's not really him. It's not him. He doesn't, like, he doesn't seem to be super curious. Like, I don't know. But maybe I just don't really have a handle on Boimler yet. Or I maybe feel I just... like it's also, when you're working constantly in the bowels of the ship, it's hard to have the sense of wonder that Starfleet officers yeah, but, allegedly But, like, Tendi and Rutherford come off as super curious. That's true, you that's true, I mean? and they, are, they spend a lot of time in the Jeffreys' shoes. Uh, well, okay, but but even, like, Mariner has this, like, she's it's almost jaded about her curiosity, but it's not like it's not there. Whereas right. Boimler and his, like, obsession with the way, like, the guidelines and the rules and book learning, it, I mean, okay, so it reminds me of, at the end of, the first Harry Potter when Hermione puts herself down and says, books, mm. cleverness, I, you know, but you're, you're the real hero, which I'm still salty about, clearly. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm, I'm just saying that, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't think that Boimler is bad for not being curious. And I don't think that Boimler, like, I think that Boimler is really, he comes off as very naive and very young and very, like, still finding himself. Yeah. So I think he, he's going to get there. But it's interesting for that. It, it Maybe it's a little like Barkley. Like, you know, it's like this sort of like, how did this person get on the ship? Whereas, yeah. like, even though, like, Boimler's worship Starfleet and the Federation, he, he doesn't seem to have a real grasp of what that actually means. He's like the kid who thinks who thinks patriotism is reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a really interesting observation, and I wonder if that's something the show will address. Because you're right, Tendi and Rutherford are really into finding new things and learning new things and also getting cool new gadgets and stealing them. Uh, <laughs> Boimler honestly seems a little joyless. Like, even when he's dating, yes. he's a little... Well, uh, right. He comes across as someone who has a... Like, a list in his head of how everything has to go. And he gets yeah. really upset when something happens that, that, like, disrupts that list. Like, you know, it's like part one, part two, part three... And it's like, that's a perfect foil for Mariner. Yeah. Like, I get why that is set up. And I, I actually really, like, Boiler is not my favorite, but I really like the idea of having this, like, you know, super nerd who has memorized Star Trek, but, like, doesn't really understand what's beneath that like isn't in oh my touch god with it, boimler you know? is bad fandom <laughs> boimler is 
curatorial fandom. You know, there's this sort of false dichotomy between transformative fandom, which is all about the story, and cura- um, curative fandom, like curation, and, and mm-hmm. they just want to collect facts and data, and that's Boimler! Exactly. And it's, oh that's super interesting, and I like, I lo- there's a lot of different places that could go. And I'm into it. Right. And that makes it even more interesting that a lot of that type of fan treats him as the main character and not a co-protagonist. Exactly. And so this, it relates to your comment that all of the characters are Mary Sue's. Oh, I forgot that I was going to talk about that. (laughs) Totally a self-insert for that kind of fan. Yeah. Which again is not a bad thing. Like, no, I am happy <laughs> for that. And that is not the type of fan I am. But my mother always says, when I was a child, I needed everything to be just so, and I got very, very anxious and upset when reality interfered. Spoilers: I'm probably on the spectrum, but I do identify with that concept of Boimler. Mm-hmm. I really, really get it. It's just that it's doesn't make him the most interesting character to me to you right but someone else might be like so excited to be you know to feel seen by yeah yeah and and that's like that's why it's so important to have many different characters and many different voices right and and to get back to the mary sue hypothesis that i had completely forgotten about so i love that that hypothesis (laughs) i was like we're talking about this oh Back in the 70s, there was like, there were, there were two types of Mary Sue, basically. There was the totally cute femme, uh, blonde-haired, or red-haired and green-eyed <laughs> ensign who falls in love with Kirk and saves the ship and dies and everyone's sorry. And then there's the Vulcan version, who is basically <laughs> all that, but also more logical than Spock. And then there are sort of a bunch of types of Mary Sue have evolved and there's your standard wide-eyed eager ensign and that's basically Boimler and Rutherford and Tendi. Mm-hmm. And then there's the sexy logic girl who is more logical than Spock. Hello, Michael Burnham. <laughs> and then there's the rebel who is in Starfleet and she's a better Starfleet officer than anyone else, but she totally doesn't give a damn about the rules. Hello. Beckett Mariner! And then I was thinking, like, I had my brainwave that that, Spock, that Michael is the sexy Vulcan Mary Sue. Not that she's sexualized, but, you know, that's sort of where it began. And mm-hmm. she, obviously she doesn't hook up with Spock. Anyway, and then I was like, <laughs> and, and Picard has Soji, who is literally Data's daughter. And modern Trek has just leaned in so hard into the Mary Sue concepts that were so derided by fandom. And... This was also my Twitter rant last weekend that Mary Sue as a concept was created to by women to police other women's fantasies. Mm-hmm. And now it's used by men to bludgeon any female character ever. Yep. And so I, I really love that modern Star Trek has just gone like, yeah, no, we're going to have the super powered, super smart woman who is somehow connected to a main character. And uh, yeah, you're going to live with it and it's going to be great. So, a long ago, I went to Geek Girl Con. I don't remember exactly which year this was, but oh, it was great. Before COVID uh, times. I saw 
um, Denise Crosby. She was like one mm. of the, the keynotes. She was great. But part of that discussion was like what panel that I went to was about Mary Sue's and like specifically in literature. So a friend of mine got up and had the observation that I had been thinking about, and I feel like this was 10 years ago. So I've been thinking about <laughs> like a decade. But oh, wow. so yeah. her, so it was actually about like tropes in, in like trope, women fiction tropes or something like that. But so she said, is a Mary Sue just a manic pixie dream girl who is the protagonist? <laughs> And I was like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I obviously have a lot of thoughts about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And mm. since learning what that means, I have named myself after it. And like am on a quest to reclaim it. And basically I, I identify as one. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and everyone can just get over it because I think it's an awesome like moniker. So why wouldn't you want to be that? So, uh, but I, like a Mary Sue, like even I, who would support every Mary Sue ever. Like if you want to make a rainbow and ponies and kisses and kittens, Starfleet character who everyone is in love with and who does everything right all the time and who can answer any question and always save the ship. Like, great. I, Go I for it. 100% support you in that. So, but the, like, the phrase Mary Sue is so ingrained that it's like, mm. you know, it's like, ugh, I, I have this, like, visceral reaction to, like, oh, I, I hope that my characters aren't called that. Yeah. But my, all of my fan fiction is, is self-insert. All of it. All of my fanfiction <laughs> is self-insert. Go read my fanfiction and you will learn about me. My original fiction is also self-insert, but it's like, my original fiction is the self-insert of the character that I want to be, as opposed to the character that I am. So, no, like, that makes sense. My original fiction is about Manic Pixie Dream Girl me, whereas my fanfiction is Mary Sue me. And I think that's kind of great, honestly. (laughs) Like, I don't, I'm never going to apologize for that. Like, ever. I'm going to stand on a platform and scream it to the world and say, I'm awesome for doing this. And I think the fact that you can find those tropes, those Mary Sue tropes in modern Trek, which is, like, hate to break it to all the fanboys but every single version of trek on television right now is fan fiction is really great like seeing it embraced by fans who are now writing star trek is like i love that i love that all of the people who are in star trek right now are fans i love that they are doing things that they want to do and not apologizing for it. And I love Lower Decks. Like, I really am super into it. I love Michael Burnham. I love her as a better Spock. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I love Soji. As much as I complain about the writing in Star Trek Picard, I, do, I love every single character. 
I love the idea of stories being told from the perspective of tropes. Like, because, mm. because you know, my other thing that I'm always constantly repeating is that a male Mary Sue is just called the protagonist. And it's right. like, that's, that's just the way it is. Like, men can get away with so much more. And you're yeah. right that it is, like, women who started it. And women persist. They're, like, you know, some of the worst people in fandom circles of, like, you know, who want to put down your, your fan fiction or your way of being a fan are women. Yeah, and, and I've been that person. I was incredibly mean and judgmental about other people's fix when I first got into fandom and for many years after. <laughs> now, I have a solution and it's called if it doesn't interest me, I don't read it. And then I don't think about it because it's mm. not my problem. Mm -hmm. There, are, There is a certain subset of people who it's, it's you know, we'll say, we'll, we'll use Lower Decks as an example. If you don't like Lower Decks, don't watch Lower Decks. <laughs> pretty it's, easy it's okay guys you can let it go and i feel like discovery is is a better use of this mm. because i i think it's more polarizing lower deck seems to be pretty most people are you know neutral at worst and i guess i understand the idea you know like oh i'm missing out like i'm missing something mm. star trek mm. if i'm not watching this and i get that i had that feeling with like enterprise I was yeah. very, like, I don't want to watch this, but I also feel like I have to watch this because I'm a Star Trek fan. And so, like, yes. but that puts so much pressure on it. I, Enterprise is way more enjoyable if you have no investment at all. <laughs> Probably <laughs> all of Star Trek is more enjoyable if you have no investment at all, but definitely Enterprise. Like, maybe Picard, actually. I think you need to be super invested for Picard to be enjoyable. <laughs> I'm just yeah like, as a Picard fan I'm going to agree with that but <laughs> sometimes I do wonder if fandom and being a capital F fan does make it less fun for us you know I watch so many shows and I'm like yeah this is a really good time and then I don't think about it again and maybe mm -hmm, that's healthier mm -hmm. but it's not how I work yeah I mean it's sort of with me if I am not critiquing and I'm not mm. uh coming up with elaborate head cannons, then I don't like it. Like, and that doesn't mean, okay, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I don't care. I'm not No, I understand. You know? And so I can enjoy something. I can like something while I'm watching it. And then, as you say, never think about it again. If I start to care, then I start to care. Like, I yeah, am then invested. And I... I want it to be the best it can possibly be. And that's why I write fan fiction and that's why I have a podcast. And that's like, you know, because not because I don't care and not because I hate it and not because I think it's bad, because I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't be here if we didn't care maybe a little too much, but that's <laughs> how we are. Yeah, yeah. Do we have anything else to say about Lower Decks? Oh my goodness! What have mm. we what have we said and what haven't we said? I really like the cat doctor. <laughs> I want her to be in it more. I Although know. at the same time, if she was in it more, she might not be as awesome. 
maybe, like some cats, she's best in small doses. <laughs> yes, I think that's probably true. But I really like her. Beckett is my favorite. And I really, like, Tendi is super cute. And I love her. But so far, she hasn't gotten a real, like, I, I kind of disliked her big ascent thing. Yeah, no, thing. that was I a was, very annoying. I was super not line. into that. And so, like, I feel like, and that was her, like, her biggest uh, mm. like her starring role so far but that's yeah. okay because she's still super cute and I still love her but I she's I not, enjoy she's, her. Not, she's not in a Beckett with me Rutherford yeah. is super sweet too and I like I just want to give him a hug all the time and I like Rutherford and Tendi together. I don't really know that if I know if I ship them, but I feel like if the show wants us to ship them, it's doing it in a fairly slow burn way. So maybe mm, it'll yeah. grow on me. And, but and mainly it's... my feelings about everyone are that only only Mariner and Ransom have surprised me. Does that mm, make sense? Yes. Mariner because she's so remarkable and and Ransom yeah. because he's competent. Yeah. And so like that episode with the two of them. Yeah. I, I loved it so much. I loved everything about it. I loved how right they both were. It was really yeah. great. It was really like he's not just a himbo. He's like he is a himbo, but he's also an officer. He is a proud himbo. <laughs> he's good but, at yeah. it. Yeah. He's good at being a himbo and like like he knows it and he uses it. And that's why, you know, we didn't see the negotiations that Freeman and Ransom partook in the moon thing. Episode. But they were successful. And, I, and the fact that they were both there together, like, I gave them both credit. You know, like, she's the yeah, captain and yeah. she's in charge, but he was doing the important work behind the scene that needs to be done, you know, like he was supporting her and doing that stuff. Yeah. So like I gave them both credit for that and I loved that. I loved how competent and and good at being Starfleets it made them appear to be, especially because they solved like eight problems and the only problem they didn't solve was a ridiculous person who didn't actually have a problem. He was just like a yeah. loser who was who was uh we're very rich you know entitled <laughs> yeah and i think that sometimes you know one entitled dickhead can hold up important meaningful social so roles so often. it's a metaphor star trek is still a metaphor <laughs> but so i really i really enjoyed that episode i really enjoyed the crystal and uh you know teen jacket episode mm. the ascending thing i didn't like and I liked the idea of this one with the cupids, but that one mm. was so blatantly heterosexual that I really couldn't handle it. Like, I was really... And even after I got over <laughs> that, just the whole thing where Mariner is sure that Boimler isn't cool enough to have a girlfriend like, like Barb, yeah, it was a right. little mean. It's like, yeah. and, and, and it was mean in a way that I was afraid this show would be all the time. Uh, the other two episodes I like best. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, and the and the one with the the Klingon, that was pretty funny. So, Envoy, yeah, I yeah. I was just that too. Even the ones, even the parts that I don't love, are are fine. It's like, oh well, you know, whatever. That was. I don't even know what the 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 ascent plot was in another plot. Was the oh it was the uh, the the mom plot. I was super into the yeah. mom plot. The mom plot was great. 
the the problem with the Tendi plot is that it was they kept saying that it was connected to the mom plot like oh we're we're, we're doing we're doing parallel plots here but the Tendi plot didn't actually have any of that it was just her explaining she's like oh well this is what i feel about people instead of like yeah. doing it i don't know it was just i didn't like the way it was presented and i wasn't into it but the the mariner and freeman stuff was like oh it's like this a is Sarah so great. Spock episode. <laughs> hmm. i i do think the series is at its weakest when it when the relationship dynamics are straight up out of any old sitcom so the mm overbearing person who wants to be liked and the girlfriend that his friends don't trust and you know strip out the science fictional elements and that could be an episode of community Mm. not that i don't love community i did until i didn't but it's generic comedy material so yeah i think this show needs to lean into the fact that it can be a bit weird but i think it's on it's it's doing it's it's trying. It's definitely yeah. on that path. And if and, we are all sort of like positive for it, then uh, it'll keep going. And, you know, it's more consistent and better quality than most Star Trek first seasons. <laughs> Super true. I Yeah, I I watched those mud episodes and yeah man the first the first like eight episodes of tos are kind of horrible guys like and the first season of tos is not the worst first season in the franchise (laughs) yeah i mean that's like tng is just sort of no like we know everyone everywhere knows in you know even like hardcore deep space nine fans agree that it really starts getting good in season three so yeah yeah Voyager, I think, has the most consistent first season. But it also has a very and, short first season. Yes, it has a very short first season. And I think it's because they were finishing Next Generation and in the middle of Deep Space Nine at the same time. So it wasn't mm. really a first season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the people who are working on Voyager were working on other shows that were not in the first season. So they sort of knew what they were doing. Right, whereas I really love Discovery's first season, and I think overall it's, you know, better than most first mm-hmm, seasons mm-hmm. Of, of a Star Trek, but it's very much a show that is trying to reinvent the wheel because yeah. the wheel was left in purgatory for 20 I mean, years. I think, I think we are all very... I think we all know that I prefer the first season of discovery to the second season discovery which makes me like an outlier in the fan no that is the official position of this podcast (laughs) so um but yeah i think that what i think what i like about the discovery first season is it has a point of view and a through line that it is very committed to yeah Whereas yeah. the first season of Picard, it has a point of view and a through line, but it is not committed to either. Like no, it is just sort of. There's a lot of problems with Picard, and the more people I see who say it's the best Star Trek series ever, I just don't understand. And that, and that's the, I super enjoyed it, and I yeah and I yeah understand the nostalgia. I love every character. Like, 
every character. You even love the characters that most people hate. Exactly. I I probably love them the most. (laughs) So... So once again, our criticisms are not coming from a place of dislike. It's not, it's, it's a very, it's a place of absolute love. (laughs) We love you so much. Please don't suck so hard. (laughs) The Trekkies mantra. All right. We've definitely said enough, I think. Yeah, I'm going to trim some of this. I'm sorry. I'm really tired, so I'm just babbling, just saying everything. I'm going to let you get to your curry. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook, also at, at @antimatterpod. <laughs> if you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can see your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And fill out that five stars, guys. Do it. Yeah. And join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about the Enterprise episode Twilight, one of my absolute favorites that Liz hasn't even seen yet. It's what I'm up to in my first go through of Enterprise, and I know you love it, so I've I been saving it for a time it. when you know I can pay attention and I'm not doing five things in the background. I'm excited. I'm excited for that conversation. 